Hello and welcome to the Brian Hornback Experience. This is episode 83. It's been a spell and it's been exactly two weeks. I believe we're recording this on Tuesday, May the 6th, uh, 17th, I guess. And it's been about two weeks since uh, the primary election. So we're going to start with some more candidates. These are candidates that are going to be on the August 4th ballot. Uh, so they may be Republican, they may be Democrat, uh, but uh, early vote starts July the 15th and 30th. So let's get started uh, here on episode 83 of the Brian Hornback Experience with Sarah Keith. Sarah, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Great. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's real difficult. <clears throat> I think I think I briefly mentioned to you that I've had some hesitation about getting judicial candidates on because judicial races, you can't talk about how you're going to rule. You can't talk about mm-hmm. cases you've handled in the past. You can't talk about uh, what a dirt, dirty, rotten scoundrel your opponent may or may not be. Um, so it's, you know, kind of fluid. I, I'm not sure. I really don't think that I interviewed any judicial candidates that I can remember in the primary, but Hey, um, here we go. Uh, so you are running for general sessions, judge division one. Yes. Uh, there's, we have five general sessions judges. Uh, and, um, and so you are, uh, you are a Democrat running, um, mm-hmm. Uh, but now in the general election, people can pick and choose uh, what side of the ballot they get on. And, you know, obviously I'm a Republican. I have been all my life. But, you know, I believe in giving everybody that's on the ballot a fair chance. Uh, and I think that voters need to hear from every candidate. And that's what I've always tried to do in the 17 years I've had BrianHornback.com and what I'm doing now. So let's talk about the fact that I believe you graduated from. Well, you went to, you went, first of all, you grew up in Helenwood, Tennessee. Yes. Back in the 90s, uh, when I was selling groceries, I used to sell to Helenwood Foods, which is still in Helenwood, Tennessee, because uh, I pass by it when I go to Oneida, uh, even today. Uh, not today, today, but now. Um, and, uh, I think Mike Ward, I think was the owner of Helenwood back in the nineties. I don't know if he still is or not, but, um, up in Scott County. Uh, and then, uh, you come from, uh, you come from, um, a, a father who served and, and I do want to spend some time. One reason I want to get you on is cause I do want to spend some time, uh, to hear a Les Winningham story. Les Winningham was a, was a high school principal who then became a state representative served for a number of years but um so you went on to tennessee tech uh got an undergrad degree and then went to the university of tennessee college of law and graduated what in two about the mid 2000s right yep and then you've done some work you've done work a little bit everywhere you've been like down around um uh, i think i saw monroe and megs is that right bradley Yes, the 10th district. Uh, I primarily did Bradley and Polk County. Okay. I was down there. But you're married now to a gentleman that serves in the Tennessee, is it the Army National Guard or Air National Guard? Air National Guard. Air National Guard. Um, so let's just talk about it. So you, you've worked for the last number of years, you've worked in the um, district attorney general's office. Uh, was that, did you go to work for Charm or did you go to work for Randy Nichols? Uh Initially, uh, Randy Nichols. Right. Uh, I clerked there at the DA's office 
uh, here in Knox County for two years while I was in law school. And then, of course, uh, when I graduated, I kind of papered the whole state with my resume and uh, went down to work in Bradley County and Polk County for a year in the DA's office down there. And then Randy called me up and asked if uh, I was interested in coming back to Knoxville because they had a spot open at that point. And so I moved back to Knoxville in 2007. Wow. Worked there up through uh, January of this year. All right. Great. So um, you had a lot of experience there. And then uh, obviously, um, I guess you you had applied for the, uh, I guess when uh, Judge Emery, um, when, when he retired, I guess in December, you applied for that position and uh, went went before the county commission and, and they chose, I guess, uh, someone that was one of your peers who uh, has gone on to be the Republican nominee for, um, well, I guess, well, he got appointed by the county commission and he's now the Republican nominee uh, on, on the district, on the division two. But... Um, it looks like you've done a lot of things in the district attorney general's office. Uh, kind of talk about that a little bit. Well, I like keeping busy. <laughs> so I certainly uh, was there. But when I came in, I worked for a little while uh, doing some felony sessions and uh, doing some grand jury. Uh, but pretty quickly after moving back to Knox County, I went on the DUI grant. Mm. Uh, so I did that for a number of years and actually created a vehicular fatality investigative review board uh, where uh, I created a, a panel of law enforcement and, uh, of course, for my office to review every traffic fatality that occurred in the district wow. and to determine if they were appropriate or not uh, for prosecution and, and to see what we could do, you know, on the front end uh, to make sure that those were investigated uh, properly and that we were on the same page uh, with law enforcement and everybody working together. Uh, after doing that for about eight years, I moved to the uh, career gang unit. Uh, that was a couple months, I think, after SHARM. Uh, took office. Uh, she uh, kind of changed the structure of the office, uh, talked to everybody to see what they might be interested in. And I was ready for a change at that point. Uh, so I did the career gang units. That's career offenders and gang members, mm. people who had a, a certain number of felonies. Uh, and, and they didn't have to be gang members. They had a requisite number of felonies and, and prosecute their cases or people who had no history uh, or, or a very long history, but were recognized as gang members. Uh, so did a pretty broad variety of uh, cases of that. You get a lot of property crime, uh, but also violent crime, your, your rape, robbery, murder, uh, that kind of thing, uh, in addition to you know burglaries, uh, like I said, the property crime. Uh, quite a uh, variety in that unit everything from misdemeanors uh, up to uh, the most serious felonies. Uh, several years doing that, and then uh, the opportunity came to go to the child abuse unit. Mm. So I did that for three years, uh, where we uh, reviewed uh, with the Child Protective Investigative Team uh, and Internet Constitutes Children, some other uh, care uh, partner uh, agencies. We reviewed all of the physical, um, mental, uh, emotional, any, any kind of abuse case, sexual, uh, that was referred in Knox County. Uh, we reviewed those uh, along with DCS, uh, again, members of the CIPIT, uh, Child Protection Investigative Team, law enforcement, uh, members from Children's Hospital, uh, folks who do forensic interviews, uh, review all those cases to determine, again, uh, which of those are appropriate for prosecution or not. And then, of course, uh, take care of those, uh, shepherd them from the investigation through the charging uh, process and all the way through jury trial uh, 
poor plea, uh, depending on how those worked out. You know, I've got, I know some folks in law enforcement that have been assigned to the, the uh, family justice center and they have to, they have to deal with uh, crimes against children. And, and I just, I can't imagine, uh, I can't imagine having to go home with uh, knowing what, what happens uh, in this community with, with child abuse, just based on what we read in the newspaper. And I'm sure what we read in the newspaper or see on the news is uh, pales in comparison in comparison to what uh, you all would see uh, in dealing with those cases. So um, that is, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I commend anybody that, that can endure that work and, uh, and, and attempt to attempt to get justice served on folks that abuse children. Uh, so in January, you've uh, gone into private practice now and uh, now running for uh, now running for uh, general sessions judge. How's the, I guess, um, now, uh, being in private practice, you have to, I guess you have to get out and, and hustle up work. And how are you, uh, how are you transitioning into, into private practice now? Uh, I'll tell you what, between campaigning and, uh, doing private practice on my own, I have two full-time jobs. Uh, so it, it is a lot of work, um, but it's also a lot of opportunity. Uh, it, it's not necessarily what I'd planned on the outset, but I think sometimes things, happen for a reason sure and, and i think this this falls under that uh it is a great opportunity to do things that i haven't done and, and despite having a, a wide amount of experience there at the da's office i'm getting more civil experience now uh and i've always tried to be impartial and, and objective in evaluating cases when i was negotiating those with the defense bar uh, but it's certainly uh, a good experience to see it from the other side and evaluate it uh, from a different position, uh, which I think, again, makes me a, a better professional in whatever role I'm in in the justice system. Uh, and so it's it's really interesting getting, again, a much broader uh, experience even than, than I'd had in the past, taking on some civil cases, taking on some criminal defense, uh, doing some consultation work, di- different things like that. So I, I'm trying to look at it as adventure. Uh, and not think about <laughs> right. what my to-do list is right now. Exactly. Uh, well, it's, it's pretty lengthy, and, so, but hang it in there. And I noticed on your website, alexsarahkeith.com, and, and I'll give everybody your, your website and your Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram uh, here toward the end, but I noticed that you talk about um, you talk about one, one thing you'd like to see um, uh, is a, a mental health court, uh, similar to what we have in, in the drug recovery court, I think that's what they're calling it now. Um, and the, um, and the other courts, um, I guess, I guess you've seen, uh, from your experience in the district attorney general's office. And, and I think all of us, uh, that are paying attention, see that mental health, um, crisis, mental, mental illness is a crisis in this community because of the closing of Lake shore uh, because of the fact that we're having to uh, incarcerate individuals who have mental illness issues. Uh, and I mean, they even, you know, the County even stepped up to do the thing with Helen Ross McNabb over off Western Avenue. But uh, you know, I think, I think a lot of what we see in homelessness um, and, and in, and in other crimes, I think we all can identify that a lot of that is coming through mental mental illness and whether they're being treated or not treated. So talk about what you would like to see in the, this is an eight year term. So obviously working with the other four sessions judges, what, 
what you would like to see in, in the mental health uh, court that that you've got a, a good idea about? I'll tell you, I think every stakeholder in the justice system agrees that we have to do more uh, to address mental health. And I think that includes the other four judges, uh, law enforcement, DAs, uh, criminal uh, defense bar, and like you said, looking at homelessness when we're looking at landlord-tenant issues mm. and plaintiff defense work and civil. We're, we're simply not addressing justice when we have the mental health problems that are unaddressed that we have. And so an eight-year term is a good long time, but it won't even begin to address the way that we really have to holistically do this. But we have to start somewhere. Right. And, and so having something like a mental health court, uh, like we have the recovery courts and, and veterans court, and those are good programs, uh, but there's a lot of people that don't fall under those particular criteria, and they slip through the cracks. And if mm. we can do something where we can identify uh, some people that would benefit uh, from some extra attention and take them out of the regular docket and you know pump the brakes and see what kind of interventions we can do to help these individuals early on, uh, before they kind of get into the system and can't get out. Uh, you know, these things kind of snowball on top of each other uh, when people get in. Hmm. And if they're not getting the help, you know, they're just, it's a revolving door for them. And so they get in, they may spend some time incarcerated or they may spend time, you know, getting fees, uh, building up uh, and things in, in civil court. Uh, but when they're released from this or that case ends, they're back exactly where they were before or they're in a worse position financially uh, or mentally from the anguish of a, a system that is just not equipped. Again, it's not anybody wanting to marginalize or make it worse for people, uh, but the system right now is not equipped to properly address uh, such a variety and such a depth of a difference in mm. mental health needs uh, that people have. Right. And again, an, an opportunity where we could sit down and have like multidisciplinary teams uh, look and figure out, okay, this person can actually benefit from this program. Uh, we can have additional interventions with them. We can monitor their progress, not just say, hey, you need to do this and see if they come back the next time their court date is and see if they've done it. Uh, but, you know, have counselors and different people who will help them along. Uh, the same way a probation officer is there kind of trying to help uh, or, or monitor uh, someone's progress when they're they're on probation, uh, ha having some other people that, you know, they feel like there's somebody on their team who can help them with medications or diagnoses or counseling or, or whatever that is. And it's not going to be appropriate for everyone. Right. Uh, certainly some situations that are far too uh, serious or violent or, or different things like that, uh, where these interventions uh, just wouldn't be appropriate. But there's, I believe, a lot of cases where, giving an effort would really matter to that person and giving them an opportunity to get some treatment and things and make them a more productive citizen. I mean, that's good for them individually if they're getting those interventions and it's good for the community uh, to not have to worry about that person getting incarcerated or uh, those problems becoming uh, more serious or, or more violent or anything like that. Uh, so I think it's, it's going to be worth it to try to implement some interventions and help some people early on. Is it going to be a, a magic bullet? Is it going to fix everything for everybody? No. Right. Uh, you know, I never try to mislead people like I'm going, I'm going to fix all the justice for everyone. Uh, but I think it matters for individuals. Well, and I think we've got to look at it on that, on that individual level and see what we can do for folks. 
Well, every everything everything has a speed bump along the way. I mean, when the drug court got started, you know, we had the speed bump of <clears throat> of the judge that was assigned to that uh, having a problem of his own. And you know, I think I think that's. I mean, obviously that's that's been cured. And and so you know, the drug courts. Um, you know, I think that that obviously was handled with a criminal court judge. But I mean, <clears throat> I think I think everything. I think every, everything can get improved, uh, but we got to start somewhere. So, well, we're about halfway in. So I do want to talk a little bit about uh, the fact that your father was a, uh, he was an, he was a uh, public school principal, I believe, mm -hmm. and uh, got elected at some point uh, as a Democrat in Scott County to the Tennessee legislature. But what people, some people listening may not realize is that Scott County uh, was pretty well considered a Rep Republican stronghold. I mean, that's where our uh, United States Senator Howard Baker, uh, you you uh, came from Helenwood and Huntsville. I mean, right there where <laughs> Howard Baker um, uh, lived, Howard and uh, Senator Baker and, and Miss Joy lived and raised their family. Uh, we, so, we attended church together. Okay. Yeah. And so that was a Presbyterian church, right? Yes. Okay. So um, just talk, you got any, you got any, good stories about your dad from the legislature uh or or during dur during his time serving uh when when y'all were growing up and your dad was uh, a state representative uh, you know i think it it definitely colored the way we all grew up because i was four i think when dad was sworn in initially and, and, and you have a twin sister correct Yes, I have a twin sister. We're fraternal twins. I have two older sisters who are identical twins. Oh, wow. And then an oldest sister who is single. Uh, <laughs> her, so. Wow. Uh, the group of us five girls. Uh, so dad is eminently patient. <laughs> I can tell you that. Uh, he probably enjoyed sometimes some of those drives back and forth from Nashville <laughs> to Helen and having some quiet. <laughs> without, well, without he, 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 he certainly had some... Uh... I mean, if he, if he got off if he got off Interstate Forty um, in uh, Crossville or Cookville, he certainly had some uh, winding roads to get back to Helenwood for sure. Yeah, and I think he usually did get off the interstate uh, somewhere around there, or he would take uh, you know, side right. side highways right. uh, as far as he could. Of course, the entire district was five counties at that right. point it was uh, scott pickett jackson clay and macon so there wow. wasn't a quick way to get from one end of the district to the other and he generally preferred those roads to interstate anyway but i, I truly don't know how he did it <laughs> between being a principal and and take care of all of us because he was at events and uh traveled back and forth all the time uh, it's exhausting even with my schedule right now it's exhausting to think of what he was doing at the oh time. yeah absolutely uh, we, but people would ask me how I became an extrovert or how I could go and talk in front of a jury or strangers. Because you know, when I was four years old, my parents would hand me a stack of fish cards and say, see those strangers? Go hand them a card. That's awesome. So, so that was good to, to get that uh, out of my system, get that kind of training. Uh, but I think, you know, just watching the way dad and, of course, mom and dad, very much teamwork uh, kind of effort. But just the way they treated people. Uh, people that they knew had voted for him and people that they knew uh, had not voted uh, for dad. But they tried to be decent uh, to everybody. And if there was an opportunity to help somebody, uh, they they were bridge builders instead of bridge burners. Mm. And I think that is definitely something I've tried uh, to implement. 
that it's just better to take opportunities uh, to build relationships rather than hold grudges uh, or rather than tear that kind of stuff down. Uh, it's it's much better to try to make friends uh, because somebody who, who was against you in the past may change their mind. Oh, sure. Uh, when you treat people like people. Well, when you... At the end of the day, if they don't change your mind, you can still sleep at night knowing that, again, you treated people decently and, and you behaved the way uh, that you didn't didn't embarrass yourself, didn't embarrass your family. Right. Now, trying how, to do what, what was right. And, how many years? That's something I've tried to learn. How many years did he serve in the legislature? Oh, goodness. He was there from he, 84 it, to 2010. Yeah, well, I remember 2010. So... 84. Wow. I, my, my first, uh, my first, uh, volunteer, uh, time in, in, um, in politics was when I was 16 in 1986. So that's interesting. But now, uh, you do have a story of Ronald Reagan, uh, coming and visiting your Presbyterian <laughs> church, right? Well, yes. Again, cause, uh, Senator Baker, uh, right. there and invited him. At that point I was an infant. Right. <laughs> that was 1982, uh, spring of 1982. And uh, mom would say the Secret Service really got tickled as they were uh, searching everyone's belongings, making sure everything was safe, that her purse was pretty much full of snacks uh, for us. And <laughs> Secret Service stealing the Cheerios uh, that she had in baggies uh, to keep us calm uh, during the service. Uh, so probably not the uh, contraband they're used to, to searching for. Wow. That's just fantastic. Yeah. And so, uh, what's your, is your father just enjoying retirement at this point? Uh, yes, he is. Uh, he's in Cookville these days. Okay. A couple, couple of my sisters, uh, the two older identical sisters, uh, live in the Cookville area. And so he is on granddad sports and recital duty. Oh, nice. So how many grandchildren are there after, with, with five daughters now? <laughs> My twin and I, uh, we have the grand pets uh, for them. Okay, uh, that's Carrie, cool. Carrie has two, Shannon has two, and Allison has two. So. Okay, so six, right? And, and Carrie has uh, two stepkids. Uh, they're one of them's a little older. He's in the navy. Oh wow! Uh, so, so he's not not around for dad. You know, watch his sports and stuff. And uh, other uh, stepkid is uh, younger, but he comes on Christmas and everything. So, you know, technically, the the ones that are around when we have the whole family around, <laughs> right? We, we've got uh, seven, and if the oldest one's in from the Navy. We've got uh, eight. Dad's well, wrangling. The, uh, your dad's, your dad's um, district, I, I don't know what you call it, but uh, John Mark Wendell, who was uh, in the district beside your dad, uh, mm -hmm. he, he's, now, um, he's now left the Democrat Party this year and going to run as an independent uh, because I think the Democrats are going to, I think the Democrats are going to challenge him. Um, and so he's now run as an independent. And I'll tell you, I guess, I guess that only leaves Sam McKenzie and Gloria Johnson in Knox County um, uh, because I would I would put my bets on John Mark uh, to win even as an independent in that district uh, at this point. Um, but that's um, probably a, a safe bet. But you know, so that's uh, so from the plateau uh, east, uh, it just leaves Sam and Gloria, and of course. Um, the Republicans uh, have their eyes on Gloria's seat for sure. And of course they're running someone against Sam as well, but, uh, okay. but yeah, so uh, interesting times because uh, having gotten involved in 1984, uh, we were the, the Republicans were the minority party 
and uh, we were, uh, you know, even even when we became the majority party, um, we still we, we still weren't we still didn't act like a majority party. And now we're a super majority party, and it's, you know, I mean, everybody everybody has to align. You know, if if you're going to be involved in public service, you got to you got to align in one of two. I mean, I've got libertarian friends, but I tell them, look, you're just not being serious. You you got to align on one side or the other, you know, and uh-huh. uh, because it's just. You know, I mean, you've, you've got a line somewhere, but, you know, again, um, I, I do want to reiterate kind of what you, you said and, and agree with you that, you know, somebody that I, I may not have been able to support this election may be somebody that becomes a, a, a good friend and somebody I can support in the next election. So, you know, I mean, it's things have changed over the last. I mean, your dad in 2010, you know, we're we're now uh, 12 years later, uh, you know, things have things have clearly taken on a somewhat of a toxic uh, situation. And, and I'm not just pointing fingers at one side or either side, uh-huh. I'm pointing fingers at both sides. So, you know, it's just, I mean, for me, for me, it's, you know, once the, once the election's over, it's time to, it's time to let whoever wins govern and, and move on. But, uh, but I do appreciate you being on uh, this, uh, on this podcast with me. Uh, wish you well. Well, I appreciate uh, you well, and I do want to remind everybody, so um, you can go to Facebook, and it's Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Keith, K-E-I-T-H, the number four judge on Facebook. It's Sarah four judge on Twitter, and it's Sarah Keith four judge, just like Facebook on Instagram. And then the website is electsarahkeith.com. Uh, and so go ahead and um, let us know. Uh, I'll remind everybody again, early votes, July 15th through the 30th. Election uh, election day is August the 4th. This is on the general election ballot. Don't be confused because on August 4th, we have a state and federal primary and you have a county general. Sarah's running for general sessions judge, division one on the Knox County general election ballot. Uh, So I'll, I'll let you have a couple of minutes to uh, ask everybody to vote for you and then I'll let you go. All right. I appreciate it. Uh, again, running for a general sessions judge, division one. I've got uh, about 16 years experience uh, in a variety of uh, legal issues and general sessions court handles a variety of legal issues, handles a little bit of everything. This court most people would uh, most likely be in uh, if they are in uh, involved in the criminal justice or the civil justice system at all. It is kind of a uh, the, the biggest net, uh, cast the widest net for it, for small claims, uh, for uh, any kind of crime. Uh, the majority of cases are all coming through that uh, Sessions Court. And I believe I have the judicial temperament uh, that it would make me a good judge. Again, I don't take things personally. I've worked in very stressful and emotionally charged environments and had to make hard decisions. Even when, you know, my heart wanted one outcome. I followed the law and what the law said about those facts and what was the appropriate ethical and legal thing to do in those circumstances, even if it was hard. And that's what I would do on the bench too: uh, apply the, the law to whatever facts are in front of me and be objective uh, and treat everyone with respect. Uh, believe you treat people like people. Uh, the criminal justice system and the civil justice system are adversarial. Uh, people watch TV and, and they are convinced they come in and people are going to be 
hitting their fist on the podium or, or the lectern and arguing. Uh, most of the time, it's just not like that. Right. Uh, it's it's a cordial uh, system. It's adversarial, uh, but people can still respect the outcome, even if they were not successful, if they believe in the system, if they believe they were treated fairly. And so I think that's important for no matter who comes in, whether the highest priced attorney or whether they're a person coming in representing themselves pro se, uh, got a summons or got a warrant, you know, whatever the situation is, uh, whether they're law enforcement, a witness, or a person accused of a crime, you treat everybody with respect and treat them fairly. People can trust the system and still believe that the system can work if they feel like they got a fair shake. And that's what I intend to do, to try to treat people as professionally and efficiently as possible and always follow the law objectively and apply it to the facts uh, for each individual case and to try to seek justice for everyone. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure we'll see you out this summer campaigning and um, we wish you well. There you go. And (laughs) we we, we will see you out and about. And thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I Uh appreciate it. No problem. Bye-bye.